This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 22, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. Mass transit proponents often suggest that new transit stops will attract development. But is that true? And what's the relationship between land development and mass transit? Randall O'Toole is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He says transit-oriented developments, quite simply, aren't transit-oriented. He says they're a giveaway to some developers and often costly to home buyers. Development that is focused around transit lines is sold, I think, to the public as something that is essentially organic, something that just occurs around these transit stops. Can you discuss that? Well, there's there's two big problems with transit-oriented developments, and one is that not very many people want to live that way. According to surveys, only about 18% of people would like to live close to shops and work and transit lines. 82% of Americans say that they aspire to live in a in a neighborhood of single-family homes with large lots, and, and they don't care how far it is to shops and work and transit lines. So because the market for high-density, mixed-use, transit-oriented developments is so limited, uh, they end, the cities end up having to subsidize these developments. And we see huge subsidies going for these developments in Portland and Denver and Minneapolis and other cities all over the country. What are the impact of these subsidies on the market for land in those areas? Most of the cities that are subsidizing developments, transit-oriented developments, are simultaneously controlling and limiting the the ability of developers to build single-family homes, which is the kind of housing that most Americans prefer. Uh, you either have urban growth boundaries, or you have a, a, a strict permitting process, or high-density zoning. Many cities have, have used mandatory minimum-density zoning, which means you can't build single-family homes. You have to build apartments. Or if you do build single-family homes, they're very tiny. Uh, we're seeing in, in some cities what are called skinny houses, houses that are just 15 feet wide because the zoning is uh, 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 2,500 square foot lots. So they build the, the houses on 25 foot wide lots. And you get these narrow little houses. They look like a mobile home uh, that's two stories tall. And and people don't want to live that way, but that's essentially a different policy, but it's going on simultaneously with the transit-oriented development policy. Urban planners believe that Americans should live in high densities, and so they want to discourage the low densities through these kinds of restrictions, and they want to promote the high densities, usually through some sorts of subsidies. What are some of the arguments that are offered in favor of these types of developments that are so appealing to the public in general? Well, that, that really raises the second problem with transit-oriented developments is that they're not transit-oriented. Uh, supposedly, transit-oriented developments lead people to drive less. And since we believe the impacts of the automobile are so great, at least planners believe that, getting people to drive less is supposed to be a good thing. Well, it turns out that instead what happens is the first transit-oriented developments you build attracts those people who don't want to drive as much. So then you do a survey and you find out they aren't driving as much as people in single-family homes, but that doesn't mean that they're driving less because of the, the transit-oriented development. If you Once you start building enough of them, then you end up having to re-rent them or sell them to people who 
would ordinarily drive a lot and they continue to drive a lot. And you soon find that you have the only transit-oriented developments that work commercially have to have a lot of parking. If you limit parking, you limit the commercial viability of the transit-oriented development and you end up with very high vacancy rates. So it's not transit-oriented at all. All you've done is you've concentrated the driving that people are going to do in the neighborhoods around these transit-oriented developments, which just creates more traffic congestion. In terms of tax benefits given to developers who locate uh, various businesses around these uh, transit stops, what impact does that have? Well, I see three kinds of big subsidies that are being given to these developers. First, uh, the one subsidy is regulatory, where as the regulatory regime for building a sing- neighborhood of single-family homes is very strict, it requires years to get permits in many places. Uh, to get a permit to build a transit-oriented development is very simple. And so developers will take the road of uh, least resistance and will build the transit-oriented developments just because they don't have, there's a less risk involved. They don't have to uh, take years to get those permits. A second subsidy that we see is uh, waivers, property tax waivers for uh, residences built in higher densities. And that ends up requiring other people in the, in the area to pay prop more property taxes or to accept lower urban services in order to provide those services to the people living in the high-density developments. A third subsidy is tax increment financing, and this is really the big one that's used in Oregon and in, in, in Colorado and Minnesota and many other places. It's, it was pioneered in California. Tax increment financing works by taking the property taxes that would ordinarily be assessed against these new developments, and instead of spending them on schools and fire and police and the other things that uh, property taxes normally go for, you use them to subsidize the developments. You Often they, they will buy land and then sell it to developers at, for a dollar or some, well, some price well below the price that was used to purchase the land. They will uh, provide infrastructure that developers would normally be expected to provide themselves uh, and other kinds of subsidies in order to uh, help attract the developers and, and help compensate the developers for building a development that isn't very marketable. Randall O'Toole is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. The Cato Institute is a nonprofit public policy research foundation headquartered in Washington, D.C. You may make a donation at our website, cato.org.